Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to the National Fire Radio podcast. As 2023 gets going, we're making some changes. And so real quick, before we launch into the daily episode, I just want to hit on a couple things. If you like what you're hearing, we appreciate the support. Please give us a five-star rating on the audio players. It helps promote the podcast and get its popularity up. And I certainly appreciate all the effort that our community brings to the table in supporting us in the mission of National Fire Radio Give us that five-star review, subscribe, like the page, send us your comments. And this is the fun part about what we're doing this year. We created a new email address for you all to send us your thoughts, ideas, and comments or questions or concerns or hate or love or anything else in between. You can email us at podcast at nationalfireradio.com. What that email address will do is it will come as a direct line of source for information regarding the podcast. And so if you have anything that you want to hit us up about the podcast, sponsorship opportunities, ad reads to questions, thoughts, and ideas, we're going to be rolling out a question and answer episode once a week. And it's going to be directly from the emails that are sent in to podcast at nationalfireradio.com. So take advantage of that. Send us your thoughts and ideas and questions, and we'd love to answer them on the air. And lastly, I just got to mention our website, nationalfireradio.com, is where you can get any of the swag that we're putting out. All of the merchandise that we sell goes right back to supporting the podcast and the National Fire Radio brand. We are super excited for 2023. We have a lot coming out, and I can't wait to share it with you all. Stay tuned. Thanks for tuning in. Now, the podcast. Our first sponsor of the podcast, Taylor's Tins. Taylor and her crew have been manufacturing helmet fronts, aluminum helmet fronts, since 2017. Over 200,000-plus shields have been manufactured by Taylor and his crew. Custom helmet fronts shipped within 24 to 48 hours. Whether it's one piece to a 500-piece department order, they'll get them out under two days. They're doing incredible work, 100% customizable product. Their product is top shelf. Not only are they doing aluminum helmet fronts, they're doing gas cards, playing cards, keychains, medical cards, and charts, pump charts, street signs, custom signs, banquet awards, you name it, they're doing it. Go to taylorstins.com, and if you do order, use this promo code, NFRSENTME, all one word, NFRSENTME, and you'll get 15% off at checkout. That's because we have a strong relationship and friendship with Taylor from Taylor's Tins. They've been a longtime supporter of the National Fire Radio platform, and I appreciate their support and friendship. Without further ado, the daily episode. Hey, everybody. It's Rob, National Fire Radio, coming to you live today with uh, a, a, somebody who I've gotten the opportunity to speak with. I read his book. One of the guys in my shift actually um, had his book here, Fit for Off-Duty. It's uh, Dr. Peter Salerno, Peter, thank you for joining us today on National Fire Radio. I'm, I'm pretty excited to have you here. Thank you, Rob. I'm very happy to be here. So uh, I'm sitting at work, and this book, A Manual for Firefighters, Fit for Off-Duty, is kind of poking around the firehouse. I'm watching guys read through it, and uh, the interesting thing to me is I'm watching their body language as they're reading it, and it seems like there's this recognition as they're they're hitting certain chapters, um, which is pretty cool. So I'm like, what's the deal with this book, guys? And Jason Lomorello, who's a, the, one of the firefighters, is like, hey, man, you're going to love this. Like, uh, you know, I, I, my, my girlfriend got me this book. It's been great. I, it, it's explaining so many things for me, like, you know, and, and my birthday was coming up. So they got it for my, uh, uh, for my birthday there. So I was pretty excited. And I started to read it. And wow, like you, you packaged into this book the tools and resources for firefighters are things that I've always struggled with, but how to explain some of the mental health stuff to, to firefighters. And I just thought like that, I said, like, after I read this, I was like, oh, I got to get this guy in the show because we have to, we have to talk about this. Awesome. So let's, um, let, let's start really quick with your background, just so people kind of understand who you are, where, you, where you've come from and, and everything else. Uh, just cause like, I think this is a huge, huge thing for us as we're, we're, moving forward with this kind of, with this story here. Yeah, definitely. So, um, I'm, well, I'm, I'm licensed as a, a psychotherapist in California and, um, but I come from 
a family of first responders. So my dad is a retired fire captain and my brother is currently a firefighter um, and union president of his uh, department in his city. And so I grew up, well, actually my dad, my dad became a firefighter. That was his second career. So he uh, got hired uh, with his department when he was 34. Mm -hmm. And um, that was a pretty drastic shift in our <laughs> dynamic coming from him just being home every, you know, every night at 5 p.m. to all of a sudden being gone. And um, obviously the type of work uh, is drastically different than anything, um, you know, that uh, you would experience like in the... Uh, in the private sector. So it was a, it was a huge shift, um, in our, in our family. And so it's no coincidence that I, that I ended up in the, the line of work that I'm in. And one of the things that I'm really enthusiastic and passionate about is, um, helping families who have first responders in their family that are struggling because, Back then in the 90s, um, there was no talk of, you know, mental health, um, no talk whatsoever about going and seeking counseling if there was, you know, an issue related to work-related stress or even uh, family conflict. So after working with first responders for over 10 years now, I wanted to create some sort of a very straightforward to the point, concise manual that can be more like a reference manual than a book that you read that's extremely dense and you just shelve it because it's not super practical. Um, and to be honest, I had trouble finding one for my clients. So I started listening very attentively to what they were saying and what they were needing. And I decided to kind of, you know, create my own. Um, and so far it's, it's, I'm honored that it's proven to be extremely helpful for for a lot of a lot of first responders. So I know that in the first responder world, especially at the fire department, uh, the last couple of, of years, especially, we've had a, a welcoming insight into mental health and starting to break down some barriers. Um, and specifically, I think what's really led the charge is firefighter suicide, because mm -hmm. we are losing more firefighters to suicide than we are line of duty deaths, um, unfortunately. But instead of us, you know, kind of shelving it to the back, we're now talking about it, which I think is great. And the conversations keep happening more, um, more and more. And I, you know, I, I kind of briefly spoke with you on the phone about um, Jeff Dill and, and the Firefighter Behavioral Health Alliance. And that was kind of my first introduction to what how systemic this issue was in the fire service. But ultimately, it comes down to our own mental health and our own mental well-being as we're seeing these traumas and, and seeing the stuff that we we see. And what I love about the start of your book is that old school mindset and how you kind of touch on that, because mm -hmm. I feel like that's always the elephant in the room to start the conversation is like, hey, you got to be tough. Like, there's like, what do you expect to happen? Like, you know, and, and there's these bad parallels, but then kind of how you roll into what trauma was. And if you don't mind touching on that a little bit, because I think I, I enjoyed in the book, how you're able to go from the known to the unknown what we'd say in like the fire service world right but like you you really started bringing in so like let's kind of let's kind of dive in on that a little bit and talk about this trauma and, and what it is that we're talking about and it's not the trauma most uh, 90 percent of us are going to be thinking about when it comes to like a really cool car accident or you know yeah. seeing the violence or something like that yeah so in the book i i i define trauma as basically any experience that overwhelms uh, the nervous system, the autonomic nervous system to the point where it, it pretty much can't operate, um, the way it's intended to. Um, and so trauma is really all about, um, stressing out our autonomic nervous system. It has nothing to do with, uh, strength or weakness. It has nothing to do with, um, you know, mindset. In fact, your brain shuts down, uh, in that case, the thinking part of the brain shuts down. So it has nothing to do with um, any sort of resiliency in that regard. 
Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to, I wanted to clarify that um, so that when people experience something like that, something so overwhelming that they realize that it's really just their biology. It's really just their body doing what it needs to do to survive in the moment. It has nothing to do with them um, as a person or their character or strength or weakness. Um, essentially and, that's what I wanted to highlight. Yeah. And, and this is kind of that, when you talk about that trauma, then that over overwhelming the autonomic nervous system, like we've seen this before as first responders when like, you know, a, a, a building's on fire and somebody does something stupid, like they or not stupid. They're just, they put like, they start putting stuff away. Like, Oh, the fire department's here. So I better tidy up before they come put the house out. Or when there's, you know, like they're, I always think of Dane Cook with that. You're about to be hit by a car, but the words don't come out because yeah. everything's happening. It's so overwhelmed. And you, the best you can do is, and, you, and then bang, the incident happens. And yeah. there's a lot of times where we're like, Hey, or even, if we watch cheesy B, B, uh, B horror movies, you know, like, oh my God, why didn't they do that? Because everything's so overwhelmed that mm-hmm. they just can't process that. And, exactly. And we've seen it. So like, this is not, this is a, like a normal reaction to a very abnormal situation. It's a, it's an extremely normal reaction. Um, it's what your body is intended to do in that, in that situation. So, um, Again, it has nothing to do with choice. Like the thinking part of the brain, the thinking functioning of the brain shuts down in those moments. So you're going to just, you're going to go on autopilot. You're going to do something or not do something depending on your survival response. Some people fight, some people flee, some people freeze. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, that's a kind of a good example of uh, um, tidying up when there's something catastrophic happening. It's because you're, you're, your body just sort of takes over and you just kind of do something automatically that you're not fully in control of. Yeah. So the, the, the importance of that and that you said, you know, understanding that trauma is because once we like once, and I was watching people with the book, once we have that like baseline definition, now, now you can start going into the other, other areas of, of the, of the book, you know, like, uh, and I said, like, you know, I want to give the whole, the whole, uh, getting brutal because like, that's going to go out and buy this book but no um like i know for me the the one thing that i i really love was the trauma of the brain and understanding mm-hmm. how the brain works and using that that uh okay like this is like a smoke detector and when these things happen it's like a smoke alarm notifying you that the house is on fire and then how everything kind of hits into that but um what are i guess what are some of the things that you you found as the author and and, and somebody who is working in this profession that's been the most helpful in this book? Definitely. Um, I think de- helping, helping people detach from the idea that there's something personally wrong with the way they're functioning or reacting to a situation and that it really is just a universal biological system that's taking place. It's our, it's our physiology. Um, that alleviates you know, this, um, this idea of, you know, I can't personally handle it, or I'm not as resilient as, you know, other people that I work with. I think eliminating that stigma has been really, really valuable. Um, and also, I, I think I, I, I say in the book, um, something about there would be something wrong with you if you didn't react, you know, mm-hmm. in this way to, to trauma, like um, people who can um, enter into a, a career like this and have these, these, you know, critical incidents left and right on a almost daily basis. If, if you're okay with that, then we need to have another conversation because, um, that means that you're not reacting the way you're supposed to, you know, that, that means you're not feeling the way you're, you're supposed to. So I think when people realize that it's an adaptive response to an abnormal, you know, situation, um, that alleviates a lot of the the stigma associated with, um, you know, with it being problematic because it's not problematic. It's actually, um, it's how you survive. It's how you, it's how you can survive a career. Um, you know? Yeah. Well, and so like one of the things that I know, um, you know, I, I hit that just so many things came out, but the, um, like for me, like I've had intense flashbacks 
in the last couple of years. I actually put a post up on it one day because I like uh, the neighboring department went for a, a infant not breathing. You know, it was a SIDS case, and I like I heard it. I wasn't even involved with this call, like not my fire department. Like skirt on the radio, walked out to out to the car. By the time I got to the car, was like like couldn't get the key in the ignition. Like fine digital dexterity skill set gone. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? And like, I made a joke if I was having a stroke, you know, and like, uh, got the, got the key in the ignition, started the car, started driving down the road. And then like started to have that moment where I didn't like really like, I mean, I, I knew I was driving, but like, then I had this very strong smell come over me of mm-hmm. uh, like that newborn infant, like that baby smell, you know, that only babies have kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then just like a wall of emotion hit me. Uh, and I was like sobbing behind the wheel. I had to pull over and collect myself for a couple of minutes. But like, it was this like intense flashback of, of when I was 18 years old and had uh, a SIDS death. And like, you know, everything came flooding back. Like, I was on a roller coaster that I didn't buy a ticket for <laughs> for like like five to ten minutes probably. And I was just like, okay. And then you know, like talked about it. But like, it was. I know for me, I I've had a lot of experience in this. Uh, you know, as far as being part of a critical incident stress of breathing team and just being involved in my own therapy, like I mm-hmm. knew what was going on. But like to see you actually talk about it in the book as well is kind of like these things happen to us in our careers. We're going to have these flashbacks or these reliving moments and kind of like what are some of the strategies that people need to know about just that aspect alone? Yeah, well, that's a great question. So if if we don't if we don't know what's happening to us, we can't really intervene on it, you know, when it comes to trauma, because trauma hijacks our, our control system, our nervous system in a way that we don't really get to decide how we're going to react. So a flashback is what a flashback essentially is, is you mentioned the smoke detector in the brain earlier, A, a flashback is a memory that's stuck in the amygdala, which is the smoke alarm of the brain. It's not, it's not cataloged in the in the archive file, let's say. So it's right there. And when you experience any sensory information, whether it's a smell, a taste, you know, sight, hearing, touch, that if, if the memory is stuck in the smoke alarm, the brain's telling you, well, th- we're, this isn't resolved. We're not fully out of the woods yet. So a flashback is essentially a signal that something is kind of stuck where it's not supposed to be and it needs to be moved. Um, so the first the first way to intervene on something like that is is obviously knowing what's happening, which is why I mentioned that stuff in the book. I want people to understand this this is this is what's happening and it's normal, but it's not it's not ideal. So um, there's a couple of interventions that that reduce the threat response and put the memories into the part of the brain that they're supposed to be. One of those is um, you know, EMDR therapy, it's kind of super popular term now. Um, but it's essentially a therapeutic technique that, that moves those stuck memories into the part of the brain where they're supposed to be. So they just become history. So you're no longer triggered by things, um, smells, tastes, you know, mm-hmm. touch, sight, and you can recall a critical incident or a traumatic event, but you're not going to have the emotional charge attached to it that that you do if, if, if it's unresolved. So if you're going to actually go to, to therapy, um, EMDR is definitely one of those interventions that is extremely effective and typically a short-term intervention. Um, but if it's happening to you right then and there, like you described where you're in the car, let's say, and super inconvenient place for something like that to happen. Um, there's also ways to interrupt a threat response, um, by practicing, you know, simple grounding exercises. Um, we typically get a 15 to 30 second window, like to do something about it before it takes over. Um, and so there's a couple of things in the book that I mentioned, just kind of self-help techniques, but you could even look them up online. Like, what do I do in the event of a flashback? And um, that information is is pretty much free and, and accurate online. Um, and it also depends on your individual reaction. So like I said, some people will freeze, some people will flee, some people will um, fight. 
So you kind of have to know which survival response your, your brain and body uh, default to. And that'll give you a much better indication on like what you're, what you can do about it in that moment. And when you say um, like a grounding technique in that window, like mm -hmm. what's, is there like a, is there a go-to one that you like to suggest that's uh, like back pocket? You're just like, yeah, this try this out and people uh, have success for it. Or is this kind of like a, a shoe that's got to fit the user? Well, it is, it is kind of on an individual basis. So like some people, really benefit from um, like if they, if they, let's say you're in the car, if you can like um, even changing the channel on the radio, like redirecting your attention to something quickly. Um, there's another thing you can do called uh, the technical term is neuroception, but it's essentially recognizing that even though you feel unsafe, your environment is actually safe. And one way you can do that is just telling yourself, like, I'm not in any danger right now. I'm 100% safe right now. That sends a signal that, like, okay, I'm feeling unsafe or I'm feeling like something's wrong, but it's just the feeling. It's not the actual reality. Um, Peter, some sir, people, yeah. It's just real quick. When you, so I, um, I know I've always, like, kind of said to myself, like, hey, if, if I say it out loud, you know, like, hey, I'm safe right now, like, I'm not going through it like the, everything's okay. Like you're in your car, right? like you're driving home. You just got off of work um, and kind of talk that out. Like I'm, I've just utilized it saying to people like, Hey, like by me saying it out loud, I'm taking ownership of what's going on. And it's kind of clearing up the static or the scramble that's happening up upstairs in my head. So now that I've said it, like I might not feel a hundred percent better and I might still be in touch with those emotions that, that emotional reaction that I'm having, but at least now I've owned it and I can like, it's kind of pinning a clearer picture of what's going on and I can start to regain control. Is that kind of the similar thing of doing that is like, Hey, like, or is there truth to that? You know, in that you're, you're taking some ownership back of what's going on. For sure. You're taking ownership, but another thing that's happening is you're hearing your own voice. And so your sensory, information is shifting the the attention is being dedicated now to another sound versus just these these thoughts and feelings in your in your brain and body so um redirecting attention is a really good way to get out of a flashback or like even if people people who dissociate for example like i've literally thrown a tissue box across my my uh, office just to so that um people can kind of like literally snap out of a, a stuck state and all of a sudden they hear something different and it redirects their attention because that's essentially the biggest problem is you're stuck in attention of something that, that is unhelpful. And if you can vocalize, um, that's going to get you on the right track really quick because like you said, that there isn't this element of taking ownership, but that also means that you feel more in control. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned disassociation mm -hmm. and I think a lot of us in the fire stations watch uh, too much television and we maybe watch too much criminal minds or other uh, <laughs> crime shows. But um, I know for myself, even reading this book, when I started to come across disassociation, I was thinking of like a serial killer mm -hmm. or, you know, they're just like, you know, like all of a sudden it disassociates and he skins cats alive or something weird and crazy, but that's not really, like it, you, you brought a whole new light about what disassociation is and like kind of hit on it for a minute. Cause I, like that was something that was very powerful that a lot of us talked about, you know, in our small group of, of individuals that have all read this book of, about, and they were like, wow, like this, like it, it really, it really uh, struck them in the feels kind of, in a kind of way. Yeah. So actually one really good example of, of, dissociative identity or kind of what you're describing like that criminal minds like that right. like losing losing all kinds of time is a movie called split um where there's that's a pretty accurate depiction of what happens when you have multiple identities and you don't have any memory of those and so you can do all kinds of things for an extended period of time and have no recollection of it that's not really what what firefighters are dealing with firefighters are dealing with kind of being here but not here having um, a recollection of an event that's uh, triggered by, a, you know, any one of your five senses and then literally temporarily leaving your consciousness um, because 
the memory of it is too overwhelming. And so it's not like you become a different person or you lose a tremendous amount of time, but what happens is um, you can kind of be frozen in a period of time and um, get immobilized physically and then not really know. I mean, there was one case, I think I actually do mention it in the book where I was sitting across from somebody and um, I think I said something that activated that sort of trauma response. And for a moment, they kind of left and then came back and they were like, whoa, how did I, how did I get here? Like they, it took them a couple seconds to realize where they were again. Um, That, that's, that's the kind of uh, dissociation that I'm referring to. It has nothing to do with being crazy or being out of your mind. It's, it's literally a survival mechanism um, when things get overwhelming. And I think, like I said, it's, it's important for us to talk about because like, you know, seeing it in the book, I was like, oh, where, where are we going? To, like, where's this going? But then once once I heard it in that way, I was like, all right, this makes sense. Like, I, I feel like I've experienced this in my in my career plenty of times. And uh, I, like one of the things that I thought of is like when I come home from work and my wife is like, hey, like we need to do this, this, this and this. And she's going to me a list of things, especially if it was either a busy night or something happened in the last Mm-hmm. Do, do you hear me? Like, or I, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you and I'm like, what? You know, and I kind of like snap out of it and I'm like, and yeah. I've, now I've identified it and I say like, hey, I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm still coming off the work brain. Like, can you just have some patience with me and repeat what you just said so I can write it down and then I'll write it down physically. So that, like, it's like kind of one, I remember because I forget shit all the time, but two, it helps me just kind of stay in that moment so that I'm like reinforcing what she's saying. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you're reminding me, it's kind of funny. You're reminding me of my dad used to scare the hell out of me as a kid, yeah. not on purpose, but because he would be in that mode, mowing the lawn, washing his truck, vacuuming. And if you try to get his attention, um, it would scare, it would startle him because he was yeah. in that dissociated mode. So um, you either yell or if you tap him, he used to, you know, have this visceral reaction because it's kind of putting him back into the present moment. But, um, but it was scary because it was happening a lot, you know. Um, and when you get into when you get into an activity that's pretty monotonous, you can you can dissociate um, because there's not really anything stimulating you externally, and so it's really easy to fall into that. And but it's something that's one hundred percent treatable. Like you can you can heal enough of your traumatic memories that your your nervous system no longer has to rely on that to uh you know to protect itself yeah um kind of skipping back a little bit we called we 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 talk about uh emdr therapy Mm -hmm. and what uh and let me like I think I want, I kind of want you just to, if you don't mind, like kind of go over that a little bit because like, and, and really where, when, when EMDR therapy fits in, because one of the things that I, I, I told somebody, I don't want to get people confused with, there's a lot of great stuff in this book and it's like mm-hmm. a reference, but it's not, this is not the Bible of firefighter mental health per se, and that you have to do everything that's here. So uh, EMDR, what is it? And when should we be looking at it from, the perspective of a firefighter or uh, a first responder who needs some some help. Yeah. So EMDR is um, whenever something is intruding on your present life that you or interfering in your present life that you don't want um, related to critical incidents or trauma. That's when EMDR is a good idea. So, for example, if you're if you're having frequent flashbacks or if you're avoiding a certain place because it's too, you know, packed with, with a memory that's, that's traumatic or stressful. Um, if you're dissociating a lot, you know, if you're kind of tuning out or checking out, um, if you're having nightmares, um, related to work, if, um, if anything is interfering in your present life, that's feeling like you're not hundred percent in control, that's, that's when EMDR comes in. 
and and basically all EMDR is is it's kind of like a nervous system hack. It's like a way that you trick your brain into thinking that it's processing memories properly. And then it uses a technique that actually makes the, um, that desensitizes you to the original event so that your brain thinks what it's supposed to think, which is that the, the memory is over, that the event is over. You know, it's no longer a threat because trauma memories stay alive and in us because our body thinks that there's still an imminent threat. There's still imminent danger. And all EMDR really does is um, take the danger aspect away from the memory. So you can recall it on command. You can think about it. You can talk about it. And there's no, there's no more threat charge to, to the memory or to the event. I almost look at it as it's, it would be like, you know, that favorite, like uh, you're at the Thanksgiving table with family and we can all talk about politics calmly and nobody would get angry at each other. Exactly. Because it's this charged issue, but now mm -hmm. we're going to be able to approach it where we're all like, okay, you know what, but that's his opinion and this is mine and we're going to still enjoy turkey dinner. Um, yeah. There's no activation. Exactly. Right. That's exactly. Well, and that, that's actually, that's a key word, the activation, right? Like that's the, you know, it's that set of tones going off. It's that, you know, alert, like, okay, like that heart rate jump, whatever, like whatever that activation is, I use the idea of a tones going off or mm -hmm. my buddy Mo Davis may say the blooper goes off in the station, but we have an instinctive reaction to hearing those noises. So right. it's a, uh, so how, so, all right. So we got the, you know, it's, it's the frequency of the nightmares, something that's um, protruding into our, our, our daily life. Um, or something that we don't feel control of. And how does somebody find the EMDR therapy? So there's, um, for EMDR, yes, correctly. The web, there's a website called, um, emdria.org. It's E-M-D-R-I-A. It's the official organization. And I think you can type in your zip code and find a EMDR practitioner in your area just by that website. Um, and, uh, another another option would be um, that's pretty popular, at least in my area, it's pretty popular to use is a, um, a site called Psychology Today. And Psychology Today is basically um, a collection of therapist profiles. And so if you type in your, uh, your zip code, uh, you'll, practitioners will come up and then you can select which specialties or emphasis you want. Um, and so you can just click EMDR and people in the area will come up. Um, and then depending on, depending on your, your work, depending on your department, some people are contracted with certain agencies that specifically work with first responders. And I'd say the majority of those practitioners you're going to find in, in an agency contract like that are trained in EMDR because that's, that's what people are seeking um, as first responders. So it's pretty easy to find a clinician who is trained in, in that. Okay. Um, another, uh, just to hit on this part about the, the book here, you've had the whole section of why you can't sit still. Mm -hmm. Um, and you use this reference a couple times. Uh, I'm just going to read this here. Unlike animals, firefighters don't rest and digest when the life threatening action stops. Um, the nervous system is always shot even when we're off duty. And I think that for us as firefighters, when we're on duty, like we're always half cocked, you know, we're like, like I think of that, um, you know, if you're a, a, a track and field runner, you're in the, the stirrups at the start of the race, like, you know, you're, you're waiting, just, you're always waiting for that shot to drop. You're waiting for that call to happen. And even if you do nothing in your shift and you're blessed with that, like you don't really get a full night's sleep at the firehouse because in the back of your mind, you're, you're turned on that, Hey, like in a moment's notice, I could be going out the door. And a lot of us, like we hit that section there and we were just like, wow, like that's because I can't sit still at home. Like I'm always on the go. I'm always trying to do something. And even in my personal life, when I'm not on duty. I'm trying to solve a problem that's not mine to solve necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, which, which just kind of like, if you don't mind hit, hitting on that a little bit, because I think that that's one of those things too, that a lot of people suffer from, you know, and I, it's just, uh, or I don't want to say suffer, but they, they, they have to, it's a challenge you have to contend with. Yeah. So I would say, um, from the, from the Academy, from whenever you started being trained or conditioned to deal with what you deal with, 
your, your nervous system is being recalibrated to operate in stressful situations intentionally so that you can survive those situations. But there is no off switch when you're off duty, just because even, even though you're anticipating, okay, I'm off duty, so I'm not going to be contending with anything like that. Your nervous system is already like hardwired to anticipate threats and, and function in high stress situations. And it doesn't just shut off because you're not working. So you kind of need to do that manually. You need to recalibrate your nervous system manually for um, like civilian life. Once you're retired or on your off duty days, you have to intervene on your own nervous system basically, because it's not going to do it for you. It's going to, it's going to keep you in that survival mode. And it, it's not a problem when you're on duty. Cause like, you know, you yeah. need to, but it is a problem when you're off because you're not facing those experiences. So your, your, your body's working overtime, um, when it's not going to use the stress hormones and the, you know, everything that's involved in that process, it's not utilizing them in a way where it's going to get the relief. So you're just on high alert, hypervigilant, um, extremely stressed out. Even if you're doing nothing, even if you're trying to watch TV, your, your body is kind of telling you, Hey, like, we're gearing up for a fight here and the fight doesn't come. So it's stressful on the body. And, and that can, that can wreak havoc on all of the systems in your body. If you don't know how to, um, and you wouldn't know how to, cause you're not taught how to, but if you don't learn how to, um, actually shut down the nervous system when it's not being put to use, um, you know, that's, that's when people run into problems like anxiety and, you know, yeah irritability, anger. Even, uh, I, I know that, you know, my own experiences I had, I, I struggled relaxing on vacation. Yeah. Like yeah. the fact that I didn't have to say, and, and when I finally decided to go on vacation for the first time, I took a cruise and, um, like somebody got hurt in front of me and I immediately went into like, like and, and I mean, rightfully so, like, I don't regret that part, but mm -hmm. instead of having like a drink with a, uh, umbrella in it, I was like, all right, who else is going to get hurt? And I had this bad luck of these cruises where I was just having to always be an EMT at some point, which I didn't, that, that didn't bother me. Cause that's why I got my part of my identity. I think sometimes is helping others, sure. but it was, it took like a, probably the third time I went on like an actual vacation for myself. I started to actually, and I don't know how I did it, but I was just like, all right, this is okay. Like you, you've handled this, like, and now we're going to go back to drinking my ties and, uh, you know, floundering around in the ocean, like, but yeah, it was a, it was a very, I struggled with that myself personally of having to turn it off. And yeah, I, you know, I, I can't say I ever like really figured out what it was that I did differently other than maybe I was just exhausted from being on alert all the time, but. Well, it's possible. I mean, you know, there's a lot of things that happen, like just, just being aware of, of, of how your body's responding can, can bring a lot of relief, you know, just the awareness that it's, there actually is something going on. Cause I think a lot of the things that, that take place in a, in, in the life of a, of a firefighter, they, they, they're gradual and subtle. Like right. my, my dad didn't just come home after his first shift and all of a sudden become really irritable. Like it, it was a progressive, you know, gradual shift over time where you just start noticing the behaviors are different. The mannerisms are different. The consciousness, what he's paying attention to were different. And I was noticing that even like as a kid, but, um, but it's something that happens gradually over time. And then once you realize what's happening, there's a lot of relief in just knowing, you know, it doesn't necessarily, not everything requires going to therapy, I guess is my point. There's a right. lot of things you can do on your own that can alleviate a lot of the stress that you're under. You, you talked before about hyper uh, being hypervigilant and, and kind of like the hypervigilant side of things. And that gets a, that's a buzzword nowadays in the fire service. But in your own words, what's what is hypervigilance and how does it how does it affect the firefighters um, when they're off duty? Mm -hmm. So hypervigilance is pretty much perceiving threat in the environment when there's no threat, but your body is responding as if you're you are in danger. So it basically enhances and activates all of your senses to be really, really on guard because you're perceiving danger or you're assuming that danger is, is 
you know, really close by. So it looking around a lot, um, you know, it can even be feeling irritable, like in crowds, public places, um, quick, quick to anger. Um, hypervigilance can even look like people who are like sitting down and, you know, their knees are jumping up and down. They just, they just, there's no regulation in the system. Mm -hmm. Um, and just kind of being like hyper alert, but not in a way that's cautious in a way that's feeling threatened. You can be very cautious of your environment without feeling threat. And that's kind of what, what is the preferred kind of stance. Like even when you're on duty, you can train your nervous system to be very cautious without having to necessarily be like vigilant in a way that your, your system is thinking that something bad is going to happen. Right. And, and I think it's interesting because right before this, you, you talked about that gradual increase of things over time, but as a kid, you started noticing some things in your father that were changing. Um, you know, like, and, and how, what I got was that I wrote down, I like, you know, uh, kind of like why you should seek help, but not to say that everybody needs to seek help on this, but like that you, you kind of picked up on this as a child that they, they, these things were happening that over gradually over time, dad was kind of developing some of these, you know, normal reactions to abnormal situations. Mm-hmm. Over the course, period. And I think it's just, so it's one of those things that like, we think that we're doing a good job of hiding this and we don't even realize that we're, we're kind of, we're, we're not, you know, we're, we're, we're very much wearing this on our sleeve. We just, cause we we're in it. We can't, we're in the trench so we can't see how deep we are, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially with, I remember with my dad, um, my mom would point out to him that his, I mean, he didn't change. He's the same person, but his, and his character didn't change, but his behavior certainly changed his reactive behavior to, to the environment. And, um, whenever we would tell him, I typically, we, me and my brother typically didn't tell him, but my mom would tell him, what's your problem? Where hey, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. He didn't know. Yeah. Um, because why would you like, you don't feel like a different person. I mean, you're, you might notice that you're coping differently or that you're developing habits that are maybe not in your best interest, but, um, it's not like, it's like this drastic shift. Like I'm this person before and after, you know, the, I start my career in the fire service. So, um, also avoidance and denial are natural human defense mechanisms. So we don't really want to believe that there's an issue, you know, that's kind of our natural tendency to, to avoid the pain of that, of that reality, um, to say, no, we're good. Everything's good. Or I can handle it on my own. I've always have before. Um, so those defense mechanisms kind of come into play too, of just, denying that anything is really, um, at risk. Yeah. Um, I wrote down on my, pa- on my pad here in, in big letters, retirement mm-hmm. It's a milestone in the career, but it also brings with it, um, which should maybe, maybe like a smooth transition becomes a little bumpy. There's a little turbulence because it is a life changing event. Uh, I, I know I've, I've watched, Several of my peers retire. Um, my mother retired after a long career in uh, as an emergency services dispatcher, um, and like towards the final days, like just it seemed like her desk drawer, like upstairs, just started dumping out memories. But what what are some of the things that people have to kind of keep in mind in emergency services, especially for firefighters when they're reaching that retirement, uh, you know, that like t- towards that retirement uh, side of things. Is there anything that they should be preparing? Uh, and I like some can probably retire with no issues, but like if they're if they're coming near that date and they're starting to get emotional, anxious, you know, hypervigilant, like is, is this a normal reaction? Is this abnormal? This I mean, what let's kind of hit on that a little bit because I think it's something people definitely have to struggle with or challenge or faces a challenge. It's it's normal to it's normal to be scared of retirement one because. Um, obvious logical reasons like you know your identity is you know really embedded into your career in a good way um uh your sense of purpose but then there's some scarier things like sadly uh some guys even that my 
that I grew up just hearing their names, you know, that my dad worked with died of stress induced heart attacks three months after retirement. They're, they weren't prepared. I mean, when your nervous system and your body and your brain are flooded every day, um, it's a shock to the system to no longer have to, to show up, you know, and, and perform in that way. And so you really need to kind of downshift or de, um, decompress, uh, before you just stop altogether doing the job. Um, you know, that, that's like anything, like if you're, um, there's, there's a cool down period, like after you run a marathon, you know? So yeah. like, if you don't do that cool down period, um, and your body is just amped up the way it was when you were running all that time, bad things will happen, you know, systems will shut down. So it's kind of the same way psychologically and, and physiologically, you have to prepare for the shock that's going to take place when you're no longer going to be um, activated day in and day out. And so I would say ways to prepare for that. First of all, education, educating yourself on, on that, which is kind of what hopefully we're going to be doing for a lot of, a lot of people. Um, and there's such a thing as preventative therapy. I think a lot of people think you go to therapy when, when everything's like hit the fan, but um, you can take preventative measures to learn how to, to cope and prepare for, uh, I guess, a more like domestic life, if you will, um, so that you're, you're not in shock when, when retirement comes. You know, you, you just said preventative therapy and now we don't have to go to therapy when shit hits the fan. Mm -hmm. And like, we don't talk about that because, but like, it makes perfect sense because like, I don't, I don't learn about how to save a firefighter who's trapped in a burning building after it's happened. Like they started teaching me that in the fire academy. They started teaching exactly. me firefighter survival skills in the start of my career. Not because, not, not until I was like, oh my God, I almost didn't make it out of that burning building alive. They were like, hey, if this happens, this is the stuff that we have learned. So, like, why why don't we do preventive therapy? And I think that's a great, you know, because I, I, I've, I've never even thought about it. It's like I've just – that's – what what is even preventive therapy? What does it look like? Yeah. Um, well, preventative therapy – I mean, to answer your question, why people don't do it, I don't think people even know it's an option, one. I think there's also a stigma associated with um, – however you want to phrase it, airing your dirty laundry or, um, or needing somebody outside of yourself or outside of your immediate family to, to support you. So I think those things kind of deter people from going, but preventative therapy is essentially like anything. It's like, um, it's like the, it's like, it's like going to the gym or doing cardiovascular exercise to stay in, in health to prevent potential health issues later on in life. Um, so preventative therapy is pretty much learning how to increase or expand like your toolkit for psychological things that, that just inevitably come up in life. I mean, people do preventative therapy to prepare for grief, for example, like if there's something imminent that's going to eventually, you know, right. result in like a grief, like, like a loss, for example, um, an anticipated loss or, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like kind of, strengthening your mental backbone to be more resilient when the time comes to actually have to deal with something. So um, it's not necessarily calling somebody when there's an emergency, but sort of like calling somebody and saying, um, I'm anticipating that something transformation, like a life transition, like retirement, moving, those things are huge. Um, I don't know if this is still accurate, but I heard in, in school that, um, you know, death, divorce, and moving are like the top three traumatic events that you can experience. Um, and you're exposed to, um, overwhelming situations every day of your life. You know, those are like essentially one-time events that, I mean, they can, it, right. they can be extended across a period of time, but, but the reason why those things are so traumatic is because they overwhelm the system, which is what you're doing every day at work is overwhelming the system. So um, mentally preparing for how to um, prevent a crisis is kind of a good idea, I would say. Yeah. 
Um, you know, the last the last part of the the one of the last parts of the book was preparing for therapy and kind of like going into that mindset. Um, you know, and I, I forget how the, I, the, the chapter title was great. I got and I it was uh, you know it's it's ultimately up to you and it's showing up for yourself in therapy and then some self help tips to implement between therapy se- sessions. Um, oftentimes, I think that people don't know what they're looking at when it comes to therapy. Like we just talked about pre- preventive therapy, let alone when something's wrong. Um, mm-hmm. What are some of the things that you, what are the challenges that you've seen clients come in before uh, have to grapple with that maybe, maybe there's some things that you can like kind of like a little insider knowledge, be like, hey, this is how you make it a little bit easier for you in that tr- transition of thing. Like, hey, I need help and this is how I'm going to get the help. Yeah. So, well, I can just, you know, full disclosure, um, when I was a teenager, I was, I went to therapy and I thought that I was going to show up, give my insurance card and kind of like an, like a doctor's visit. Like I was just going to get the solution just kind of slapped onto me right then and there. So therapy really doesn't work that way. Um, therapy requires that you, um, if you don't know why you're showing up, cause that's pretty common. Some people, just, I think I need to talk to someone, but I really don't know why. Um, that when you do find out that you're willing to pretty much do whatever it takes to, to help yourself out, right? Like the therapist can, can, can give you tips and coping skills and tell you like, this is what would help. But if you don't implement it on your own, it's really not going to be that effective. So I think, um, maybe just eliminating this idea that the therapist has some sort of a magic wand and just by showing up, um, your, all your answers are going to be, you know, all your problems are going to be solved. That's really not, not, uh, realistic. Um, but I would say if you're going to, if you're, if you're on the verge, cause I get this a lot, I get people calling me and they're saying like, it was really hard for me just to pick up the phone and call you. Like, I just, I didn't want to do it. I read your book six months ago. And I didn't, I didn't want to take the plunge. And I, I always say absolutely normal, like totally normal. Um, that type of resistance is not actually problematic. It's just self-protective. But if you, if you are ready to like, to make the call and to, you know, take the plunge, so to speak, I would say something that you can do is, um, not super popular, but like, like journaling or writing things down, like what's going on in your mind. Uh, so you can kind of have an idea of like what you're going to say when you show up for the appointment, mm-hmm. because again, it's not like, Hey, my, my arm hurts, um, help. And the doctor's got, well, this, you know, we'll, we'll take an x-ray. We'll, it's not like that. It's everybody is so into it, so unique. And even though you're experiencing the same things, your personal perception of it is, is going to be very unique. So you kind of have to lend a hand in that regard and tell the therapist, this is exactly how my life is problematic. You know, um, these are the thoughts I'm having, or these are the behaviors that I'm exhibiting that I'm not really okay with. And so I kind of want some help figuring out how to, you know, eliminate those things. Um, sort of taking a mental inventory, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then like, uh, you know, I mean, we're, we've been going on for like, you know, 15 minutes now here. Like what are, um, for, for yourself, like what are just like, you know, anything that we didn't touch on first and foremost with any of this that you want to get out that you feel is important? Um, I, I mean, I, I would say, I think it would be a good idea for people to, um, if you have the book, read it more than once because nobody, even myself, people who've spent most of their lives in school, you can't read something once and, and retain it. So that's why I intentionally try to make the book as short and concise as possible because I really want people to go back and reference it um, like a manual. So if you've already read it, read it again because you're going to learn something about yourself that you did not learn the first time around. And if you read it a third time, you're going to learn something about yourself that you didn't learn the second time around um, and expect that you're going to be resistant to some of the techniques in the book. Um, it's our natural inclination to resist 
something that we don't know or, or it's, you know, to resist change. So I would say, you know, if you're skeptical, like give things a shot anyway mm -hmm. and, and see how you feel. And then, um, there's all kinds of ways to like reach out to a therapist. Like you don't have to make a call. You can email, you can, some people have their, their personal numbers. So you can text somebody, you can talk to someone, you know, like if they're seeing someone and see what their experience was. Um, but don't hesitate to, I would say, don't hesitate to ask for help because you're going to likely talk yourself out of it. Yeah. And, and you're worth it. Like that's, that's one thing I try to, you know, get out to people all the time that ask about because I'm, I'm pretty open with everyone about my own struggles and my, my, you know, going to therapy and seeing a therapist and stuff like that. And, uh, like you, you are 100% worth it and the people around you are worth it. So like, I, you know, like I, you, when you said before about showing up to therapy and like having a, you know, around about a plan of like what, what you hope to accomplish here, what you need to do. Like, it's kind of like showing up to it. Like you buy the gym membership, but that's not going to make you lose weight. Correct. And like you can show up and you can just be on an elliptical every day at the lowest setting and be like, hey, why aren't I getting results? Because mm -hmm. you haven't really set that groundwork out in front of you. So it's, uh, yeah. So what's what's next for uh, Peter Salerno? What, 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 what do you got cooking? What do you got going on? Yeah, I actually have um, this coming March, I'm going to have another um, a book published that has to do with um, attachment trauma. So, um, and actually one of the reasons why I decided to write it was because a lot of the, the firefighters and first responders that I was working with, once they got in the door and talked about their work-related trauma, they realized that they had some unresolved childhood trauma that was equally contributing to the stress in their life. So, um, this book is a little bit like less specific to first responders, but it's very relatable because it talks about how your earliest attachments, your earliest bonding experiences or lack thereof contribute to the way you function in your present relationships with your friends, your family, your significant others, your children. And so it's a good kind of primer on um, like what to do if you have some unresolved things unrelated to your career. So I'm excited for that to come out. Um, it's a topic I'm really enthusiastic about. So hopefully that'll be a helpful resource as well. Um, other than that, just, um, you know, working in my, my private practice and, um, just looking forward to, you know, I love hearing feedback about the book. So what was really cool is people reached out to me after you posted the, uh, the photo of the book on Instagram and they messaged me and some people emailed me and, and told me what they liked about the book. And that's always really helpful because if I don't get feedback, I don't know if it's helping and so it means a lot when people um people tell me how it's impacted them um yeah. and, and where can people get a hold of you and find you so um my email address is um uh peter at dr peter salerno.com and then um i have a website dr peter salerno.com and then i do have an instagram um, which is at uh, dr peter salerno and um, I highly appreciate it when people reach out. Um, it's very exciting to hear that, uh, you know, something I wrote has helped somebody. Um, so it means a lot when I hear from, from people. Well, I thank you for taking an, an hour out of the day to speak with us here at national fire radio on your book guys if you have not gotten the manual for firefighters fit for off duty please do so it's going to be a tremendous tool that you'll have in your toolbox to help you with some of the stuff that we're going to eventually experience at some point in our our career and, and peter i gotta say like i i, I am just i've continued to sing praises for you because i was blown away by how you presented the information in a easy to read manner that like I said, that's almost fireman proof. So, um, <laughs> which is pretty cool because not a lot of people do that. And, you know, for, for those of you who are out there who are on the fence about this stuff, get a, get a copy of this book. You can find it on Amazon and other places where books are sold. Uh, and, uh, 
check it out because I believe in it. So, Peter, thank you so much for being on. Stick around for a minute when we're done here. And, uh, yeah, is there anything else I missed? We... No, that's it. I just thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. All righty. Well, everybody, this is Rob, National Fire Radio, with Dr. Peter Salerno with a manual for firefighters fit for off-duty. Find it on Amazon now. Go pick up the book. Read it a couple times. You're going to learn something about yourself. This is Rob, National Fire Radio. Fire Radio.